Hello, my friends. You're listening to Repent and Believe podcast with Cynthia Smalls of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here we talk and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fast and God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks guys. Hello everyone. This is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How's everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You beloved are to never give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, listen, buckle up today. We are going to be talking about seven verses in particular that prosperity preachers misuse to promise followers of the Lord Jesus Christ health and wealth. Beloved, listen, there is a belief in the body of Christ that many people are being deceived by what is called the prosperity gospel. Prosperity theology developed in America in the last century and it has spread around the world. It has been called a baptized form of capitalism. It is a false teaching that in essence says, if I am a Christian, God promises to bless me with great health, wealth, and prosperity. Folks, listen, this teaching is a great danger to those who believe it. It is damnable. What happens is people place their hope in what God gives, even over and above God himself. So, before we get into today's madness with this damnable gospel, let us pray. Father, In the name of Christ Jesus, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, thank you. Thank you that we have the spirit of grace who teaches us everything. We don't need man to teach us anything. We have Holy Spirit and what he teaches is never a lie. Father, we see over here in Romans 16, 17 to 18, 
Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Amen. And Father, also, the Lord Jesus tells us in Mark 8:35, For whoever wishes to save his, <clears throat> excuse me, to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake and the gospels will save it from the consequences of sin and separation from God. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world with all its pleasures and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul and eternal life in, in God's kingdom? Verse 38. For whoever is ashamed here and now of me and my words in, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. So, Father, teach us today. Teach us that we cannot serve both God and mammon. When we, as your children, put our eyes on the earth, we will perish. Our focus must remain on Jesus Christ. We must store up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not to look and not to look towards you for temporal pleasures and treasures. Thank you, Father, that we who are being saved we do not make provisions for the flesh. We have come out of the world. We, we love nothing that is in the world, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Thank you, Father, for saving us. I ask for wisdom today, discernment, clarity, May Holy Spirit move on me, give me insight into the deep things of God. Thank you, Father. Your children, we always want to learn straight from you and not by the twisting of your word, by men and women of corrupt minds who see church as a way to make money. Heaven forbid. 
Bless your holy name, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, beloved Jesus, dear ones. The problem is God the Father never promises a life of riches, comfort, and abundant prosperity. And I don't care how these corrupt men and women twist scriptures to try to prove us otherwise. Listen, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy Second Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who delight in pursuing righteousness and are determined to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be hunted and persecuted because of their faith. Amen. So, what part of that sounds like a life of riches, being comfortable in sin, and having lots and lots of money? Beloved, red flag. If anyone who calls themselves a prophet and tells you that if you bring God money, God will rain down favor and blessings upon your life, and you know and a prophet, if he's a real true prophet, would know how you are in willful sin. And all you need to do to be made right with God and get his favor is to bring God money. Run. That's a false prophet. Let us all be woken up to reality. God will never Jesus will never authorize sin and bless you for it. Absolutely not. So, when people believe in this false doctrine, when they experience suffering, they feel as though God has lied has lied to them. They believe that God should have kept his word. They blame God rather than the wolf in sheep's clothing who deceived them. Listen, so you too are not led astray like I was. When I first came to Christ in 2002, because the first person in the ministry I ran into was that wolf, Creflo Dollar. Oh, let me get that straight. My bad. Doctor. Here we go. Doctor Creflo A. Dollar. Listen, I was deceived for years, sitting up under a false Christ, a fake Jesus, believing that all God wanted to do in my life was to bless me. All the while, I'm in willful sin up to my eyeballs with no rebuke from the man of God. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for delivering me out of that madness. Listen, beloved, so so you will know that damnable prosperity gospel goes by many names. Word of word of faith, health and wealth, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. Listen, do not be deceived. This is nothing more than new age. For this camp, it is all about calling those things into existence that are not now. Naming and claiming stuff supposedly in the name of Jesus without having to see it first. Listen, it is a misplacing of one's faith. Completely taking scripture out of context to facilitate this false gospel. They love to twist what Paul says in Romans 4.17 to interpret that we can, like God, call it those things which be not as though they were. And this is exactly what we will be dealing with today. How prosperity preachers and teachers misuse the scriptures to falsely claim prosperity is your right as, quote unquote, a king's kid to be blessed and that God must do it, demanding that he do it. He must keep his word. In all arrogance and ignorance, throwing his precious promises back at him. Negating, negating the fact that God does not bless the wicked. God have mercy on us all. So, let the debunking begin with this misquoting of Romans 4.17 because in its proper context starting at verse 16 therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed not not to that only which is of the law but to that also which is of faith, which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom, whom he believed, even God who quickened the dead and call it those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall, that, so shall thy seed be. 
Amen. So let us go back to Genesis chapter 17, where the Lord God promises to give Abram slash Abraham a son, Isaac. I have made thee a father of many nations. That's back over there to Romans 4.17, right? Because Romans 4.17 quotes Genesis 17.4 through 5. Listen, Genesis 17.4 through 5 says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Amen. Beloved, listen, Isaac will not be born until Genesis 21.5, approximately a year later. Yet... God spoke of Abraham's fatherhood as though it was already true when he said when Abraham was without an heir, the Lord God told Abraham a father of many nations, of many nations I have made thee, not a father of many nations will I make thee. Listen, therefore, it is God, it is God, it is God who calls things which are not as though they were, not us. And so we see right off the rip how that word of faith movement always come here to Romans 4.17 and take it out of context telling you that you can have whatever you say and it will come to pass and their quote-unquote proof text is that you can call things that be not as though they as though they were failing to mention that it is God and him alone that can do that, not us. So, you want to know why? You really want to know why this false gospel is so dangerous and damnable? It teaches that God provides rewards, including personal happiness, financial wealth, and physical health for believers who have sufficient faith. Irregardless, if you are in willful, deliberate, blatant, knowing sin, because for them, all you have to do is have faith. And so when you put your faith in materialism and when it doesn't show up and if you dare to question them why it's not working, they say 
It is because you don't have enough faith and you walk away with your faith shipped wrecked. Thank you, Holy Spirit, because that is exactly what is happening right now today to masses in the body of Christ who put their faith in prosperity rather than where it belongs, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to put our faith and trust in him. Why? Because he's the only one who died and shed blood for you and for me so that we don't die in our sins and go straight to a burning hell. What did Jesus tell us? What prophet will it do a man to gain this whole world, fame, fortune, and success, only to lose his soul and go straight to a burning hell? What benefit is it that you live the life of the rich and famous, making pacts with the devil, signing your name in blood only to end up in hell. No, it is not worth it. Listen, for the camp of prosperity gospel, for those who teach this nonsense, sin is only a blessing blocker. Not that it will send you straight to a burning hell, but that for them, God cannot get you that fifth Cadillac because you stop his hand from prospering you. So then don't sin. Again, putting a misplaced emphasis on sin, not that it is, it is damnable, it is wicked, it separates you from God. In their theology, sin is only something that stops God from blessing your life with material wealth. So they say it will be in your best interest not to sin. Folks, listen. Preachers famously associated with this heretical movement includes Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Hagin, who was deeply influenced by irreverent, irreverent, errant, I should say, errant, E-R-R-A-N-T, errant, false Bible teacher, E.W. Kenyon, the grandfather of the Word of Faith movement. And then we got Kenneth Copeland, Joe Osteen, Creflo Dollar, and many, many more. Beloved, listen. These men and women have some of the largest congregations and best-selling books in the country, and they host they host 
television programs that seem to air at all hours of the night and some and some are the most watched programming around the world. Mm-hmm. The prosperity gospel, because we are going to get to those verses they love to beat us in the head with. The prosperity gospel promises that the atonement of Jesus covers illness and poverty. False teachers will say that at the cross, Jesus died for our iniquities, sorrows, illnesses, sicknesses, and and poverty. This leads to believing that true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ should never be sick or struggle financially. Scripture says that there are very godly saved people who get sick and live by humble means. Our freedom from sickness and death is in the new heavens and the new earth. This damnable prosperity gospel promises that Christians given that when they give financially, it leads to compensation from God. False teachers will use passages like 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9 to say that the more you give to God, the more he will give you. For example, if I were to give God $10, he would give me $1,000 back. Beloved, this leads to wrong motives in giving. Scripture says that we give with a cheerful heart, believing that God will supply our needs. Amen. The prosperity gospel promises that prayer slash faith is a tool to force God to grant blessings. False teachers will also use passages like James 4, 2 or Matthew 21, 21 to say, if you have enough faith, God is bound. Here we go. Bound to to act on your behalf. Or if you can claim it before it happens, God is bound to give it to you. This leads to a wrong view of prayer and a misunderstanding, no doubt, of biblical faith. Scripture says that we should pray for God's will to be done, and faith is reliance on what God has said that we cannot see. Beloved, listen. Okay, Paul warned Timothy about such men. In 1 Timothy 6, 5, as well as verses 9 through 11, these men and women of corrupt mind supposed supposed godliness was, was a means of gain 
and their desire for riches was a trap that brought them into ruin and destruction. And we see this in verse 9. The pursuit of wealth is a dangerous path for believers and one which God warns about. Listen, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We see that in verse 10 of 1 Timothy 6. If riches, beloved, if riches were a reasonable goal for the godly, the Lord Jesus would have pursued it, but he did not. Preferring instead to have no place to lay his head. We see this in Matthew 8, 20 and teaching his disciples to do the same. It should also be remembered that the only disciple concerned with wealth was Judas. Mm -hmm. And what is so maddening about it all, that while sitting up under Creflo Dollar and the like, they constantly says how constantly said that Jesus was rich looking to when he was a toddler when the wise men came to bring him all of that gold and myrrh and frankincense and that how Jesus was so rich that's why he had a treasurer and we know that treasurer was Judas what they, as always, failed to mention is that Judas was a thief, okay? He came against why that woman who was uh, pouring that expensive oil on Jesus, he was like, why use that? Claiming that that money could be used for something else probably for his own pockets. And that is why he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. So why would they point to his treasurer, Judas, as a proof text as if it was a good thing to mention how Judas was a treasurer to say that Jesus was so rich that's why he needed a treasurer. Why even point to Judas for anything to highlight how God is so rich that he too had a treasurer? Of all the people to point to, why Judas? So that's telling on his face. Listen, Paul said, covetousness is idolatry. Ephesians 5 5 and instructed the Ephesians to avoid anyone who brought a message of immorality or covetousness. We see this in verses 6 through 7 of Ephesians 5. 
prosperity teaching prohibits God from working on his own, meaning that God is not Lord of all because he cannot work until we release him to do so. You're talking about arrogance and pride, right? That holy God cannot make a move in our lives unless we give him authority. That's why Jesus said that many on the day that he judges us, that many will say, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not do many good works? Didn't we do all these miracles, casting out demons? And Jesus is going to tell those false prophets, away from me, depart. I never knew you. You are a worker of iniquity. And these are they who who demand that God keeps his word. Okay, folks, listen. Faith, according to the word of faith, false doctrine, is not submissive trust in God. Faith is a formula by which we, as they claim, that we manipulate the spiritual laws that they teach. They believe that you can govern how your life will go when you throw up your fists as, as a believer's authority to do so, to throw up your to throw up your fists in the face of God and demand that he keep his word. And not only that, that God cannot make a move unless we, the dirt, give him permission. That's why we don't have anything because we have not told God that he has permission to move it. God will never overstep man's will. So, although Blessings and treasures are for us unless we release God to do it. He won't. And this is what I sat up under for years, listening to this nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you couldn't tell me I wasn't on my way to heaven. Okay, listen. We, um, I'm, I'm bringing all of this backstory into what they promote so that you will not be led astray. We have many babes in the body of Christ. We have many mature saints who are sitting up under these walls being spoon-fed, twisted scripture because of covetousness and greed we all wanted that good life we saw the quote-unquote pastor and his first lady living. So another, another favorite term of prosperity gospel teachers is positive confession. Listen, this refers to the teaching that words themselves have creative power. What you say, prosperity teachers claim, 
determines everything that happens to you. Your confessions, especially the favors you demand of God, must all be stated positively and without wavering. Then God is required, so they teach, to answer as though man could require anything of God. Thus, God's ability to bless us supposedly hangs on our faith. Folks, they will have you watch your words so closely that even if you say anything as a figure of speech, don't do it. Like, for instance, if you if you see something or you read something and you go, you know what? That just blew my mind. I can't understand why this thing happened. And they go, no, don't say this blew my mind. Otherwise, your mind will be blown open. Meaning you can be in a car accident, some kind of a bomb situation, and your mind will will just be blown to bits. And we bought that. Or... Let's say if you've been standing on your feet all day and you get home and you take off them shoes and you go, oh, my feet are killing me. Oh, don't say that because then you are calling death into your life. Or let's say, you know what? I have a headache. Like I literally have a headache. Oh, no. Don't say that because then you are calling sickness to yourself. And we're like, but I have a headache. No, because you are calling pain to yourself. And then over time with all of that indoctrination, you're like, then I can't say anything. They only want you to make positive confessions. Say you are a millionaire, even though you are in debt and you got zero dollars in the bank. Say stuff like that. Say stuff like this. I am healed. Meanwhile, you have been diagnosed with cancer. Don't 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 claim cancer. Claim health. Folks. I I don't even know how I even made it out of that alive because let me tell you, I had a stroke in 2005, three years coming into this nonsense that I actually stopped taking my high blood pressure medication because for those three years so far, I was so deeply indoctrinated that it is the will of God that that I be healed, healthy, and wealthy that by big time faith, because see, I'm going to step out in faith, right? I stopped taking medication. Knowing that I had been diagnosed with high blood pressure, lupus, I had I had blood clotting issues, so I was on medication for for all excuse me for all of that, right? But because I'm being indoctrinated, I'm I'm a babe in Christ, and I'm going to believe God for wealth and health. So they teach that if you take medication, then you are not operating in faith, but in man. And the more they kept telling us this and teaching us this, I said, you know what? Well, then 
I believe God. I'm I'm standing in faith, so I'm not going to take this medication. Folks, it wasn't it wasn't until long that I had a full-blown stroke. I was in rehab for about like 3 months learning how to walk again. Why? Because I stopped taking the blood clotting medication. I stopped taking um the 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 blood pressure medication that will keep it at bay. Not to mention I was in my my first adulterous remarriage. Didn't even know I was adult um an adulteress. I'm arguing, fussing and fighting, elevating my blood pressure, but for the fact I'm not taking medication, I'm doing everything to elevate and exacerbate the whole situation. I caused myself to to have a stroke. Why? Because I stopped taking the, the 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 Coumadin that helps with blood clotting because of the lupus, and so a blood clot entered into my brain and caused me to have a stroke. But if you let them tell it, they will tell you, no, we don't tell people to stop taking medication. Well, yes, that is what you are saying. If you are saying that by faith, we must believe God for for healing and that when we take medication, we are stepping out of faith. So we are not loving God if we step out. Listen, don't even get me started because even just thinking about this is, is riling me up again. So I'm only bringing this because I want to get to those to those scriptures that they love to to proof text. Beloved, listen. These following verses, right? Used to support this damnable prosperity gospel. We are going to put it in its full context by explaining each of these verses revealing why these verses actually don't support the the prosperity teaching at all number 1 they love to throw out this scripture give and it will be given to you good measure pressed down shaken together and running over will they give into your bo- into your bosom For with the same measure you measure, it will be measured back to you. And that's Luke 6.38. The context of this verse is forgiveness, not money. So what... I can't... Now I can't understand it. How they can even twist this without us going back to the scriptures, reading verses above and verses below to get the context. Because this, all of this uh, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, this, this give is not giving of money, okay? It, it is all about forgiveness, the measure in which you give it forgiveness, not the money. They isolate this, especially when they start bringing out them buckets. 
And because this is all they talk about is money, you now have money on the brain. So when they when they come here and when they start off with give, you assume because they have twisted it into your thinking that when you give money, that it will give that it will be given back to you in good measure. It will be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Let us not forget the running over, right? How men will give into your bosom for with the same measure. Meaning, the more you give, the more you get. Folks, again, this verse in its proper context is talking about forgiveness, not money. If we go back two verses and and read it, look what it says. So instead of starting off with verse 38, let's, let us go to verse 36. Therefore, be merciful, even as your father is also merciful. Don't judge, and you will not be judged. Don't condemn, and you will not be condemned. Set free, and you will be set free. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Will they give into your bosom? For with the same measure... For with the same measure you measure, it will be measured back to you. Mm-hmm. Amen. So terms like set free are used to indicate setting someone free from your grudge by forgiving them. Amen. So when the scriptures say set free and you will be set free, it's talking about forgiveness. That if we forgive, then we will be forgiven. The message the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching is that we will be forgiven by God with the same measure of forgiveness that we extend to others. Lord Jesus teaches the same message in the parable of the unforgiving servant. Number two. John, no, 3 John 1, 2. I apologize for the pause. It's like I'm looking at it, but I couldn't get it out. 3 John 1, 2. I tell you, I I know what it is, right, Holy Spirit? I'm still traumatized. I'm still, (laughs) I'm, I'm trying to get through this lesson, but I'm, these bad feelings are, starting to arise because I can't believe how I was not studying these scriptures out for myself, but I allowed myself to be spoon-fed, cherry-picked scriptures. So if I'm pausing, it's only because I'm, I'm having a flashback. I'm having a flashback that I actually believed this nonsense. So, Lord, help me get through today's lesson number two, right? Third John 1, 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be healthy even as your soul prospers. They love, love, love to come here. This verse in John 
is literally a greeting. Like, hello. I hope you are doing well. Expressing the desire that their journey and life go well. Basing theology and doctrine on this verse would be like basing your belief on the phrase, have a good day. In Spanish, they have a similar phrase that literally means, may your way go well, but it is a way of saying goodbye. This verse is exactly the same kind of expression used as a greeting. There is no foundation for basing any belief on this verse other than John wanting to be friendly to that that gentleman, Gaius, G-A-I-U-S, Gaius, Gaius, being friendly to him and wish him goodwill in life. That's it. That is not a doctrine that we are to be blessed financially and healthy as well as prospering in our soul. This is John saying, hello, that's it. So number three, Luke 18, 12. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I get. And this, they love those who teach that followers of Jesus are required to tithe love to come here because then, then they can point C, tithing is in the New Testament. If you read this in context, right, you will find it um, amusing to realize that Lord Jesus is telling a story in which the man who makes this statement is actually the foolish one. Let's read the whole passage. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far away wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Lord Jesus says, this man, that tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, that, that tithing man. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Luke 18, 12 to 14, because they love to stop at verse 12. Listen, the man who boldly claimed that he tithed all he receives was arrogant. It is the humble tax collector who was exalted before God, whereas the man who fasted and tithed exalted himself. Jesus is speaking negatively about those who exalt themselves, much like these televangelists who promote the prosperity gospel do. Mm-hmm. Number four. Will, oh boy, here we go. Here we go. Will a man rob God? 
yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In types and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there might be meat in in mine house. And prove me now here with, says, say it, the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Amen. How many times have they beat it, beat us in the head with this? Malachi 3, 8, 10. Beloved, listen, in his proper context, the Lord was not talking to Gentiles about how we were supposedly robbing him of types and offerings. Again, read Malachi. That whole, that whole book is only four chapters and you will see who God was talking to. He was talking to the corrupt priest. They were the ones who were robbing God of his tithes. And not to mention Israel. They were doing some shenanigans with the tithe too. Because the tithe was not money. It was crops, vegetables, spices. The Levitical priests were not given land. Therefore, they were in charge of the temple. When the children of Israel brought tithes to the temple, it was so that the priests can have food to eat since they didn't have land, they didn't grow crops. Not only that, when sacrifices were made, once the animal was sacrificed, burned, now you got meat to eat, right? What was happening was that they were sacrificing blemished animals. When the law required that the animals to be sacrificed were to be unblemished. But they were bringing in sick, disease, practically dying animals to be offered up to God. And God was inflamed How dare you bring this to me? Do you not know that I am the king? And so he was, he was rightly rebuking these corrupt priests who were allowing these shenanigans to go on before the Lord. And he was, this verse is talking to them that if they repent and go back to serving God, how they were doing it. Before initially doing what was right, that God will open up the windows of heaven, meaning he will cause rain to come down and bless the land so that crops can grow. So Old Testament tithing was based on food and crops, not money. Even in the New Testament, the Pharisees are seen tithing spices, cumin, mint, and dill in Matthew twenty three twenty three, 
When money was collected, it was normally considered to be a tax, not a tithe. Study Matthew 17, 25 to 27. Prosperity gospel teachers often warn their audience to not rob God by not tithing enough money. The problem with how these televangelists use these verses is that they say if you give your seed tithe, then God will bless you financially. The issue is that most of the money donated goes directly into the pockets of these quote-unquote pastors as disposable personal income. Make no mistake. Deuteronomy 26.12 tells us, When you have made an end of tithing all the tithe of your increase in the third year, which is the year of tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the foreigner, to the fatherless, and to the widow, that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Amen. And that was the purpose of them tithing, not to make the pastor rich, but to give the Levitical priesthood, the the foreigners, the, the fatherless and the widow who don't have the means to grow crops in order for them to eat. It was a way of serving the community. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Not so that the priest can buy a brand new camel, so that he can have a bigger tent, so that he can store up gold for himself. Absolutely not. So let us let us break out on a quick lesson on whether or not we, under the new covenant, which was ratified by Jesus' sinless, perfect, precious blood, which was poured out for us. We, New Testament, born again, blood-bought followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, have to keep any one of the 613 laws of Moses, which, by the way, tithing was one of them. Let me by the spirit of grace, enlighten us. We Gentiles were never given the law to keep. It was given to ancient Israel. Let me say it again. The law of Moses was not given to the Gentiles. You, beloved, and I are Gentiles. We are not Jews. Unless, like I said before, unless you can trace your bloodline all the way back to um, Abraham, through Jesus, through David, through Abraham. If you can, fine, then you are an, an Israelite. But we're not. We are Gentiles. So, the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He brought it to a close. That is why he said, I did not come to abolish the law, 
but to fulfill it. Fulfill it means to complete. And that is what he did. He brought the Old Testament laws to a close once he died on the cross. Remember, he said, it is finished. Therefore, we didn't and we don't have to keep the law. We are under the dispensation of grace. Listen, scripture tells us how the Gentiles, they didn't have a covenant with God. They, they did not know any, any of those laws. They were not given those laws to keep, but it was given to Israel, the nation, to keep. Romans 15, 8 through 9 tells us, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant and a minister to the circumcision Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm and verify the promises made to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for for his mercy to them since God had no covenant with them as it is written and forever remains written. Therefore, I I praise you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Amen. Psalms 147, 19. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his ordinances to Israel. Amen. Malachi 4, 4. Remember with thoughtful concern the law of Moses, my servant, the statues and the ordinances which I commanded him on Mount Horeb to give to all Israel. Amen. Romans 3, 2. Great in every respect. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, his very words. See? See? We were not given the law. And not us and and not and let I'm telling y'all, listen, I apologize. This is so disturbing to me, but I'm gonna get through this. The law was not given to us. Not ever. And let us not forget. Paul says that if you keep, if you even keep one of them laws. You must keep them all. Otherwise, you are under a curse for not keeping the law in its entirety the way the way Israel had to keep it. So don't let anyone in the body of Christ tell you, you must keep the Ten Commandments. You must tithe and that that you must keep the Sabbath. No, those were part of those laws of which we were never given to have to keep anyway. Why Why are we even delving into any one of them laws? Why are they teaching that we must keep it? Because what they are teaching is legalism, that in order to be justified before God, you must keep, according to them, at least the Ten Commandments, Sabbath and tithing. When Paul tells us that you keep one, 
You must keep them all. Otherwise, you are back up under a curse. But they tell you if you don't tithe, if you don't keep the Ten Commandments, and if you don't Sabbath keep, then you are under a curse. Folks, we must study this word for ourselves. Amen. Listen, to bring this little sidebar to a close, Galatians 2.16, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Amen. Folks, this passage reveals that the law cannot justify or make righteous any man in God's sight, which is why God sent his son Jesus Christ to completely fulfill the requirements of the law for all those who would ever believe in him. Amen. Christ Jesus, because I got the hit home with this. Christ Jesus redeemed us from the curse that has been brought through the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatians 3.13. He substituted himself in our place and upon the cross took the punishment that is justly ours, so that we are no longer under the curse of the law of which we were not given. In doing so, he fulfilled and upheld the requirements of the law. Let us not forget, Christ Jesus is still sinless. He is still perfect, right? This does not mean because we are not under the law, that we are to be lawless. Rather, it means that we are free from having to keep the laws of Moses. And instead, we are under the law of Christ. He gave us two commandments. To love God with all of our heart, soul, souls, minds, and strength. And to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Amen. So, Christ became the end of the law by virtue of what he did on earth through his sinless life and his sacrifice on the cross. So, the law no longer has any bearing over us to say we must keep it because its demands, its requirements have been fully met in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ who satisfied the righteous demands of the law restores us into a pleasing relationship with God and keeps us there. No longer are we under the penalty of the law because when you try to keep them laws, you will be under the penalty for not keeping the law. So we are, we, are, we are not under penalty. We live under the law of grace in the love of God. We have Romans 2.14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, 
these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Amen. Speaking of obeying the law, Paul mentions that some non-Jewish people, Gentiles, us, end up keeping parts of the law by nature, even though they are not required to do so by God. In other words, the human conscience sometimes prompts people to do the right thing, even without having a written law to tell them to do it. This parallels Paul's point from earlier in this letter that God makes certain things obvious to all people. Read Romans 1, 18 to 20. Study that. In this way, those Gentiles, that's us, allow our consciences to be to become a kind of law for us to follow. We might not even know what is included in the written books of the law given to the Israelites, but because God put in us who he is, all of his righteousness and his existence. So although we didn't have the law, have the law but, but we will be tried by our consciences of knowing what's right and what's wrong. So to answer the age old question about the law, and if we 21st century new covenant blood bought followers of the Lord Jesus Christ have to keep any of the 613 laws of Moses, the answer is no. Mm-mm. So, getting back to the madness of those who misuse God's precious word to afford themselves a lifestyle of the rich and famous who, who uses scripture to obtain a lifestyle that their deceived, fallen asleep congregants will never obtain, let us pick up with number five. Yet you don't have because you don't ask. James 4.2 This verse right here is used to support the name it and claim it teaching, which is technically witchcraft, manipulation of a spirit, in this case, manipulation of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep reading to see what James is really saying. Yet you don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask amiss so that you may spend it for yourself. I mean, for your pleasures, you adulterers and adulteress. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Amen. James 4, 2 through 4. So we can see James is actually speaking against lust and greed saying that they are making themselves enemies of God by loving the material things more than God. Again, saying God has no choice but to make our prayers come true. AKA name it and name it and claim it. 
This naming and claiming is the literal definition of witchcraft and sorcery, the real kind of witchcraft, not the pretend magic kind of potions and spells, but the legitimate sinful witchcraft of attempting to manipulate spirits. Listen, what does Lord Jesus say? when praying to the heavenly father and he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying oh my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless nevertheless not as i will but as thy wilt amen folks we cannot manipulate holy spirit to do anything just because we name something and then we claim it no, that's witchcraft. That's manipulation. Mm-hmm. Number six. If we sold to you spiritual things, it is a great thing. No, is it a great thing if we reap your fleshly things? And that's 1 Corinthians 9, 11. They also love to come here. They love to come here. Listen. What is interesting about this verse is that Paul is not making the point that he deserves to reap material goods because this is what they claim, right? And they love to come right here. Instead, Paul is bragging about the fact that he has chosen not to reap material goods. Let's continue reading. If we sold to you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your fleshly things? If others partake of this right over you, don't we yet more? Nevertheless, nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we bear all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Amen. Again, 1 Corinthians 9, 11, but push it to verse 12 so we can get the context. Listen, Paul even says that he would rather die than receive financial support from them in verse 15. But not them though, right? Oh, no, no. So then, why did Paul make this statement about reaping material goods? Because he is teaching them that they need to give to the needy. Specifically, he is giving them reasons why they need to support the saints in Jerusalem who are impoverished due to persecution for their faith. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I commanded the assemblies of Galatia, you do likewise on the first day of the week. Let each one of you save as he may prosper that no collections be made when I come. Amen. First Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. Furthermore, as seen in later verses, these collections were not kept by the local church. Instead, listen, instead, each person saved up 
until Paul was ready to collect the total offering from everyone. The Corinthians did not tithe money weekly. They saved money weekly to, to meet a specific need in the Christian community. Amen. Folks, we are not going to find this level of fellowship and brotherhood going on in the modern apostate church. Absolutely not. These men, these women of corrupt minds hoard. They hoard their wealth at the same time beating you in the head, brow beating you that you must join their membership. No, that you must join their their church. You must be a member. Why? So they can continue to bank and count your weekly tithe. Amen. They are not giving up the wealth. These people collectively got billions in the bank and yet they keep asking you for money. That makes no sense. Last but not least, number seven. Galatians 6, 7. Here we go. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Beloved, Paul is not speaking about money at all in this verse. Rather, Paul is, excuse me, Paul is talking about sinning, saying to stop sinning or else reap the consequences of sin, which ends in death, eternal separation from God over there in the lake of fire. He is not talking about that the more you sow money the more money you will reap the the context is sin that if you continue to reap it you are going to sow eternal destruction in the lake of fire yes so let's continue reading do not be deceived God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows, look, I don't know why they don't continue. For he who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh. No, from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will reap, will from the spirit reap eternal life. Let us not be weary in doing good, for we will reap in due season and due season if we do not give up. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. So, what does God really say about wealth? Well, the Lord tells us in Luke 12, 33, sell. <laughs> sell. Okay, that which you have and give gifts to the needy. Make for yourselves purses which don't grow old, a treasure in the heavens that that doesn't fail, where no thief approaches, neither moth, moth destroys. Yeah, this is what the Bible really say about wealth. 
The Lord says in Luke 16, 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot, beloved, serve both God and money or mammon. Nope. Paul says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. If we come down further, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Amen. Study 2 Timothy 3, 2 to 5, because Paul was telling us perilous times. We are living in perilous times. Folks, in closing, I don't know if I've already mentioned that, but this is the close. Listen, beloved. As followers of Jesus, we should see him as our greatest blessing in this life, not money, fame, and success. I close with how we opened. Mark 8, 35. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake and the gospels will save it from the consequences of sin and separation from God. Amen. Father, in the name of Christ Jesus. If we pick up in verse 36, For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world with all its pleasures and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul and eternal life in God's kingdom? For whoever is ashamed here and now of me and my words in this adulterous and sinless generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's so sorrowful, Lord, that we would chase after money that hard and not put our eyes on eternity. Lord Jesus warns us, watch out. Be on the guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Luke 12, 15. Father, thank you that we put our eyes on heaven and not on this earth. We put our eyes on our spiritual blessings and riches in heaven and not on the temporal pleasures and treasures of this world of which we have been called out of. We are the church the ecclesia, the called out ones, called out from darkness into the marvelous light of your son. Thank you, Father. We will, we will take heed that no one leads us astray.
Bless your holy name, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right, beloved. Well, by the grace of God, I got through that. You have to understand, when you come out of such corruption and deceit, you kind of like have post-traumatic syndrome. It's, it's like you know now just how devilish it was. But while you were in it, you believed God for all of this that they were shoveling down our collective throats. We believed this so hard that even when someone was telling us we were deceived, we shut it down. We didn't want to hear nothing that came against what we wanted. And we wanted to be rich. We wanted to be wealthy. And we wanted to be healthy. And we believed that it was God's precious promise to us that we should have these things. And we were led to believe that we had all sorts of authority. That, that heaven is waiting on us to make a move. And that no matter how we live, we will most assuredly enter heaven. Why? Because by God's grace, we have been saved. And there's nothing we could have done. Therefore, our salvation is secured. And that nothing we can do, nothing we can say, that would snatch us out of Jesus' hand. That we, in essence, when you look at the totality of this false doctrine, nothing we can do whereas we can lose our salvation. When on its face, everything about this damnable gospel forfeits one's salvation because trust is no longer in Jesus for salvation. Trust is in myself that my faith, that my big time faith is going to make heaven move. And because of my work of my faith, not in Jesus, where I will produce fruit of righteousness because that is never taught I I've never even heard about producing fruit of repentance proving that my faith in Jesus is genuine faith was beaten into our heads only so that we can have faith that when we demand from God that he fulfill his precious pro <coughs> precious promises then we will have what we say. It is all about me, 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 and what God got to do for me. Otherwise, he's not a keeper of his word. Heaven forbid. May they all repent. Father, have mercy on them. That they come to their senses as they ought to and stop teaching this damnable prosperity gospel Otherwise, like you tell us over there in 2 Peter 2, they have already been destined for where they will most assuredly end up. Outer 
darkness. Thank you, Father. All right, beloved. There we go. I got to go. My time has run out. Repent and believe. Stop sinning and turn back to God. Bad company. You sitting up under these false ministries will most certainly corrupt your good morals. Come to your senses as you ought to and stop sinning. And Lord willing, until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Bye for now. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye.